Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Here we go, here we go. Everyone who uh, dialed in today, dialed it up, clicked in, clicked on. Man, another episode. This is the right after Nationals, Ultra 4 Nationals. As you guys saw when you clicked on today, we've got Chip McLaughlin, you know, North Texas guy, philanthropist, cancer survivor, prankster, Texan, driver of the number four Ultra 4 4400 car, Chip. Welcome to the show, man. You, sir? I'm so good happy evening. to have How you, are you on. buddy. As we keep talking over each other, that's a good way to get it started, man. Thank you for coming on, man. Uh, you've had a, God, you, you have so many good stories. I've known you for quite a while, but man, I hadn't had you on yet, even though I've been excited because of why. Well, that's because you're going to use me as your emergency contact. And, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing for you or not, but yeah, I was your emergency backup. Yeah. My break glass in case of emergency. And then the reason was, I mean, just when you're trying to almost nearly live record, you know, this thing is going to, when people listen to this, they're going to be like, God, when do you record that? Obviously in the last week because of nationals and timing. Yeah. We try to stay on the ball and sometimes just schedules don't work out. I mean, I've been known to get on a plane and go interview a guy. I've jumped in a car and got and got a couple guys, you know, there's just this constant, but you're, since you're here in Texas, it's an easy one. And we talked about it. And then to be honest, that actually becomes like offensive. Like, oh yeah, yeah, chips my my backup, you know. And you're like, fuck you, I'm not the backup. That's the <laughs> that's the only word. That's I know I dropped the f bomb. I know I did, but that's the only one that fits there, right? Nah, I you know you're doing an awesome show, and you know just to even be asked to be on it, and even to be the, your emergency contact is an honor. And you know, I'm just glad to be here, glad to be racing and having fun. Well, and I haven't dropped, uh, you know, I, I didn't even lead in with that. You've broken your back. So there's like leaving that open for broke back jokes the whole rest of the episode. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I did just drop it right there, didn't I? Oh, well, my phone's going off. Matt Enix is calling me. <laughs> God, Matt Enix. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was texting with him just a little bit ago. He's, uh, he, he's, a, he's a proud American, little North Texas guy with you. I think, you know, you guys. He only lives like. 30 minutes from me, I believe. So, which is scary. So you run into that boy everywhere. Your big spoon. He's little spoon. Uh, we'll go with that. We'll it makes go, it better for me. We'll go with that. If you guys caught the live show this past weekend, you might've seen right off the start line, pretty much in every single drone shot was a uh, mode into the mode into the field. that said HBD JT, you know, happy birthday, JT Taylor. That's who we're talking I, about. And Chip. Yeah. I'm not sure who did that. Right, right, right. Rufus Racing, literally, they're doing their race prep, race pack, and they they pack a zero-turn mower. This is planning. This is prank, prankster level, next oh, level. Yeah, it was uh, – that was Andy and Diamond's idea. Brad and I just happened to be the ones that executed it. You know, the, we knew that where we wanted to park was not where most of the racers park, and there might be tall grass. So we thought, well, maybe we should bring a weed eater or something. And Zanny's like, no. We got the zero turn, and this is what I think we should do. And I was like, that is the most brilliant thing I've ever heard in my life. And if anyone caught the JT episode, which was back at Christmas for the Talent Tank, uh, JT was here with me at Christmas at my house. Uh, he spent Christmas with us, and, every, you know, we love, you know, what was his title? Uh, Director of Race Operations. 
right? Or something, something really high level, high director zoo, of yeah. birthdays, director of birthdays. So my kids, you know, they invaded the, uh, the recording while JT's sitting across the desk from me and, uh, singing happy birthday because someone prompted him to. Yeah. So funny since that trip, you know, he calls it windshield time. He calls everybody, he gets bored. He drives all over the country between Colorado and Florida. He, uh, he called me and I kind of put two and two together, knew he was going there and knew he was going to be on the, uh, the program. And so I might've queued that up, but he doesn't call me anymore when he does that. I don't understand why. Yeah. I wonder, <laughs> you know what? I actually <laughs> didn't hear him say anything about, uh, about the mowing the stuff in the mowing, mowing that into the field. But that is the thing about, so you put it together. See, you've got a buddy that's kind of like that. You know, Brad Christensen, he's your co-driver. You've known him most of your life. He saw me walking across that field carrying a talent tank interview kit and he put two and two together. So he has fed me a ton of gotchas. Yeah, I'm afraid. I kind of got wind that he had done that and he laughed the whole time when he told me and it scares me. Just giggling, just giggling like a oh, yeah. No, I mean they're they're good stuff. I mean, I mean they really are like burning down trucks. I mean, I don't just know. Just one or two. He is apparently the one that coined the hashtag chip happens. He is. Well, yeah. And it always happens to somebody else's. That was leaving hammers with Doug Jackson, I think, in 18, Doug's last race. And we're sitting in that windstorm trying to get out of Hammertown. And I'm like, it's getting hot in here. I'm going to go get my shorts out of the, the trailer. And I opened Doug's bus, and that wind took that door and ripped it off the hinges. And Doug was just so mad. He just sat there. And then Brad's like, chip happens. And it's stuck ever since. Well, now it's even on your, on your race cars. Like it's, oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. on, it's like on your visor on the, above the windshield yeah. or it's not windshield. It, what do you even call, what do we call that in the, the, the it's a, I don't know, visor roof, whatever. I put it on there so we can distinguish because everybody gets Andy and I's cars confused. So we put chip happens. And if somebody messes something up, well, I've got a bunch of stickers hidden and they'll turn up in good places. In, in great places. Uh, when someone overdrives, you know, they literally blow a high pressure line on their talent tank. Exactly. Oh yeah. It's you get a chip happen sticker. Your, your talent tank is empty. Fully, fully empty, <laughs> fully empty. <laughs> well, so let's, let, let's dive into nationals and there's a whole bunch of other stuff about you that we're going to talk about for the next hour, hour and a half or two hours or however long we go, we'll get it all in there. But nationals were just coming off them. They were just this past weekend. You qualify good at one point, you know, in the, in the four car, it's an IFS tribe car built by uh, Adam Shearer and, and his crew there in, uh, in, in Fort Worth on corrected time. You were way up there. Number two, number three. Yep. Yeah. Second after lap a third after the B and I had zero idea that we had gone that far. We started 16th, I believe. But to finish first, you must first finish, right? Exactly. And that was, that was our plan. I was uh, listening to Alan's deal and I was messing with him. I was like, it's going to be checkers or wreckers. I guess I forgot to put up blowing up, but yeah, I came in, you know, we, we came into nationals 10th, Brad and I did in a number four car and I had a mission. I wanted to be top five in overall points. So, I mean, I did my homework, showed up early. We marked the course, walked the qualifying course, which I've never really done. And so I was going for it. And, you know, things just happened out of your control. And so what took you out was uh, you, you lost the motor 
but it was uh it was you know oil pressure you lost oil pressure and then that took you out so what's all the what's the, the story around that so it's a dry sump motor I had had some issues with the oil light coming on, you know, under heavy braking or jumps when I'm getting out of the gas up in a jump. And so, you know, I'm used to the light blinking just instantly and coming right back off. And it started doing it, but it started doing it more frequently. And I kept asking Brad, dude, we got oil pressure. And he goes, yeah, well, it kept coming on more and more. And then that Motec system lit up like a Christmas tree. And I'm like, all right, we got to go to the course. And I think it gave me about two seconds, three seconds, and it shut me down. As uh, Diamond would put it, when I started it, it sounded like a 1980s heavy metal band. So we were out. Well, like a drum full of rocks? Exactly. Oh, that's so, terrible. Uh, it, was, it was unfortunate. Then, uh, and then Zandy, so this is Team Rufus, Rufus Racing, North Texas. You guys are a multi-car team. You guys have, I mean, how many 4,400 cars do you guys have now? Three? So we own three. We only race two. Okay. I call it the Tribe 16 Collector's Edition because all of them are tribes. It seems That's like funny. when a tribe car goes up for sale, we buy it. So the number four is on Doug Jackson's old car, the solid axle car, which I raced in Tennessee this year. And then uh, Alex Wacker's IFS car that we bought right after Nationals last year. And then Zandy's got Nightmare that Keenan Leatherwood used to race. That's right, Keenan's. And then that car, Keenan's old car, Nightmare, it went to uh, the Demolition Ranch fella, right? Yeah, Demolition Matt, yep. Demolition Matt, and then it came back up to North Texas, right? Exactly, yep. I should have looked this up. What's Sandy's number? You're four. 24. He's 24, yeah, yeah. But right. they, they, so in the U- UTV class, he's number four because 24 was taken, and I took another available UTV number to just harass 4,400 guy. I got the number 13. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So JT Taylor, imagine that. <laughs> like, they, I... They, what the, what are the odds, right? So this whole you know broke back <laughs> and JT crush. This is really pulling in JT's favor here, Chip. This is not looking good for you. You know I, that dude is one of the coolest dudes I've ever met, and I love harassing him. And it it, it comes back. I mean the the happy birthday thing. You know we started at uh, in Sacramento. He, we saw him and Dave and the 4,400 group coming in, you know, employees to come do their, you know, employee meeting or whatever for dinner. And as growing up as a kid, my parents always used to embarrass us and say, you know, sing happy birthday, get them to come put whipped cream all on your face. And we came up with the idea to do it to JT. And it has happened at every race and it's got a life of its own now, actually. Yeah, man, you guys, I mean, just getting him, I mean, something else and he is a great guy i do need to tell a, a, a quick ultra four jt dave story from uh, this past weekend because i think it's important to everybody you know i've been and you know uh, and everyone listening knows I've, I've been fairly uh i've been critical of ultra four when it comes to timing and yeah. and, and, and running races and uh and being being able to hang their hat on the results not gonna i mean i'm not gonna miss one. i haven't minced words about it prior to you know, Moab, you know, before they brought in USAC. So we, we had, you know, the, just a fiasco, a couple of fiascos last year, the fiasco at KOH this year, the stuff in, in Tennessee. I mean, it's been, I've been critical and I'm, I mean, I own that. I absolutely, I have, I've, I've held their feet to the fire. And so, uh, in nationals, I, you know, normally at a race, I'll go jump in, uh, the truck with, uh, with Dave during, you know, doing race ops. And it's usually, you know, in this case, it's JT and the the F four fifty, the red one that they've got sitting there. J 
JT in the driver's seat, Dave in the passenger seat, just running race ops. And I just sit in the back seat. And normally, you know, I've done this, you know, numerous races, but this one, this one was particular, you know, I mean, it was, it was good. I was in there quite a while just watching the lead changes, watching guys come across, watching, well, there had been a problem in, uh, in the UTV race with timing. And then there'd been another problem in the EMC race with timing. And those guys, uh, you know, that they'd gone to Alan Johnson, Alan walked the issue over to the F450, talked to JT, got Dave's, you know, to listen to it, then walked away. And Dave sits there, he pops up his laptop. He already had open. He went to the right files, started just walking it through the tracker, walking it through the yellow brick, walking it through timing. And then he radioed down to the timing trailer, print me out all the stuff for this car. And it was, uh, in this case, it was LeSage in the UTV race. And the difference was, you know, it actually changed the, the national outcome, the national points right. outcome of, of, of that uh, because of this issue. And the points were made. And, you know, I've been in that truck for a couple hours. So I was like, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and no kidding. Yeah, Timing's been an issue. And, you know, I haven't been, uh, you know, very vocal about it. I have been with, you know, honestly with JT and Dave, because honestly in Kentucky and Tennessee last year, I was affected. You know, Brad and I in our car were affected. Tennessee, we were pulled off uh, a lap early. And, you know, mistakes happen. The guys are doing the best they can and with what they have. And, you know, Dave came to me and, you know, gave me a, a solution and I agreed with it. And, you know, we went on our day. You know, not everything can be perfect, but I respect what those guys do. And listening to Dave and some of his ideas in the driver's meeting this past weekend, we're going some cool places. And he's realizing, you know, he can't do everything. I mean, I'm one of those guys. It's like, I, w- I wanted to make sure I do it because it's going to be right. And, you know, with the race team and work and everything else, you just kind of kind of step back. And Dave's done that. I was really surprised to hear he's going to take off after hammers for the rest of the year. That did. That shocked me as well. But I, I get it, right? He's he's actually put some really great, powerful people in the right places between, you know, and it's a team. It is a total team between oh, JT yeah. and Ryan Thomas and Scott Hartman and even Roxy and Merch and Alan Johnson and Travis Walter. I mean, you just, the list goes on and on and on and you can't stop. But I want to go back to this, this USAC issue. Dave, Dave turns and turns, you know, in the seat and leans back and goes, Oh, oh, hell no, Wyatt. Uh, uh-uh, no way. No way. You sit there. You listen to the SHIT that, that goes down. You sit right. out. And I'm like, that is freaking fair. Absolutely. Absolutely absolutely i'll sit here and i listened to all of it and then uh the the whole it got to the point where you needed to go down to the timing trailer and have them walk through each each lap every time you and there was three there was three timers for you to go across at this race there's three different right. segments and so uh the times to walk down there and i could get it i could sit in the truck i could get out and go elsewhere and i got out and i said hey i'm going down to the timing trailer and i'm going to see this whole issue from cradle to grave you know from where it started to a resolution and went down there and those guys so i got to see exactly what went on in the timing trailer for and what they're looking at and how they're looking at it and the fact that they have video of every single time a car trips the wire right so not only is the the transponder linking up with satellites in space and being logged. It's also being logged on video and they could roll the video forward and back in the, and the timestamp is identical. I mean, they are spot on and we rolled through it. And yeah, as it turned out for Lesage, it was wrong. The way they'd set it up, they made it throw out 
any lap that was less than 10 minutes because they believed that was an error. And right. because he had missed, well, it's kind of what affected Blyler. It's exactly what affected Blyler and Blyler throwing away the national points title accidentally, you know, having to end up doing lap B twice because he missed the, the entrance to lap B because yep. when you came off the short course, you had to go left to a or right to B. And yep. he, he met, that and happened it, to, that happened to one of our guys, Malcolm in the UTV class. And then going back and watching the live feed when I got home, it happened to Eric Miller too. And he was a, he caught it in time where he could spin around a tree and, and go back. But I mean, when you put the visor down, I mean, as JT says, you become stupid and you know, that stuff happens. Well, I'll even add to that. It's not just stupidity. I don't think it's stupid. Well, I mean, it can be, don't get me wrong. It can be, but we're talking about Blyler. You know, this guy is, you know, calculated Matt, he's in the national points contention. He won King of the Hammers. He's won national points a year ago. So he's the current defending, you know, the, the defender of the national points title. This guy knows it. I mean, he's, he's, he's the guy right now in my book and, and he made all the right decisions lap, you know, on lap one and lap two, and this is lap three and he made the mistake. So the thing for me is, you know, this is endurance. It's off-road endurance racing. Endurance also means the human. It means yep. the body. It means mentally, are you beat up? And this, this course was, it was a hard course. No, no, it was, you know, honestly, I liked this course more than any course we've had out there. Cause you know, we had what I call the desert section, which was a, now it was not a fast, like just in the sand, you could go fast. You were in the dust, but you had rock mines everywhere, you know, the size of Volkswagens. And, you know, so you had to be calculated and technical there, but go fast. Then loop B had mud bogging, hill killing, driving through rivers, water crossings. I mean, you know, everything else that you don't get in the desert. So, you know, as ultra four as the ultimate, you know, car that can do anything. This to me was the best test of that out of any of the races we've ever done. And the short course and it had short yeah, course in short, in short course too. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that part too. So yeah. What, yeah, I mean, you brought it up lap a, it looks and people watched on video. It looks wide open, open fields. There's no trees, but if you get a foot off a course, oh, what's sitting there? there? You know, it, it's funny. Cause you know, I raced, this is my third time racing there. I, I first time I raced was with, uh, when I was co-driving with Doug Jackson, he got sick and I ended up having to fill in for him. That was the mud race. The first time we ever raced out there and there was cars sunk to the, do you know, top of the door bars. Is that the one where it flooded? Also, everyone got, yes. tra you got trapped on one side yeah. or the other side of the entrance. Cause you drive oh, through a was. pretty good water crossing to get into the park. You could, I mean, the night that, you know, before when we we're supposed to have qualifying that that's when the tornadoes came through and Brad and I were actually sitting in Doug's race trailer and we could hear the sirens going off. And I said, look, if there's a tornado coming, I said, we're strapping into the car. And if the trailer starts flipping, I'm firing it. And we're going out of the back of this trailer. I was like, I think that's the safest place we could be. Cause I think that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. You're in a um, road cage. Exactly. So the, the next year when I raced uh, the car as me being the driver, I came up on Shannon Campbell on the last lap and Shannon can't hear the best. And, you know, he doesn't pay attention to other people. And I come up behind him. He had no brakes, did the siren. Brad's like, just pass. Him. I'm like, I'm not getting out of this two track because there's going to be a Volkswagen that's going to take us out. So I nudged Shannon Campbell, which was probably the worst mistake I've ever done in my life. He moved over and he returned the favor because he thought I was like, oh, some punks is just seeing me wounded. I'm going to show him. Well, he forgot he had no brakes 
and he KO'd the back of my car, ripped his front wheel off, and Peanut was riding with me then. He goes, I've never seen you drive so fast. I'm like, I didn't want to get hit by Shannon Campbell again, and I did not want to get out of those two tracks. And they had one of the funniest stories I heard out of this race was Waylon overshot overshot a turn, shot off. He got kind of high-centered, hit a rock. He, he was able to throw it in reverse, and just as he's throwing it in reverse, Brian Croft, you know, his, yeah. his soon to be father, uh, brother-in-law, brother-in-law yeah, comes over the rise and just hits him in behind. He <laughs> just smokes him in the back. I, I saw the aftermath. I thought he blew a radiator or something, but what he did is I guess he moved a bar or something and it shorted the winch out and it started a fire. So when Reed came by him, he had a bunch of smoke coming out of the front. It looked like radiator, but it was actually electrical fire. Oh man, see, I didn't know about the electrical fire, but that does make sense from for what I saw. And then Shannon, he didn't have, a, you know, he broke some stuff. Uh, it, it was he rolled bad. down Devil Slide too. I will say this: Ryan Miller driving for Bailey completed yep. every between Bailey and he completed every mile in forty four hundred this season. That is, you know, a feat. that was one of my goals. And when we were in Moab, I had my steering rack lose no ring four miles from the finish and it put me out and i was like man i just i mean granted with what happened at this race we wouldn't have made it either but i was i was still in the hunt when we were in moab right up to the last lap and i i think that that says a lot you know only two people out of i mean how many we have at hammers over 100 yeah right at 100 so two people cleep you know did every lap this just shows you how hard this racing is who was the other car there was another car that did it it wasn't just Bailey and Ryan did it in Bailey's car. There was another car listed. I and the, I think it was Bailey Cole. Was it Bailey Cole? It was maybe it was Bailey Cole. I, I don't. No, 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 no. Well, I don't know. Did they count? I guess they're not counting Crandon. Well, Crandon <laughs> wasn't a points race. <laughs> well, you know that's different. He went fishing on that one. He, he did. You know, it, it, anyone that watched the qualifying on Friday of the forty four hundred race at Nationals, his pit crew, awesome, awesome crew of guys. I mean, just outstanding travis took and put colored uh, cellophane i guess over his uh cow light so he had uh red on the passenger side and oh, green no. on the driver's side so it was That's like beautiful. a boat yeah right red right returning and That's so beautiful and it was very obvious until he fired up the ambers as soon as the amber fog you know amber floods came on right it washed out the red you really couldn't tell but from a side angle as the car was going yeah it looked like a boat like you could see the red and the green. It was that, you know, I'm glad we can sit here and laugh about that because that was a, oh, it could have been, been a very scary event. Um, and he's taking it like a champ. And th- there's a lot of different ways that outcome, you know, could have ended and it happened the best way. But, you know, for us to be able to make jokes about it and, and do that, I think that's great because it shows the resilience of our guys. And, you know, we keep going. And then he raced the car the next day. It was like, Insanity. Motor oh, was fine. Yeah. Yeah. Motor's fine. Well, uh, let's, uh, I mean, granted, I, last weekend nationals was, was very good. It's really sad to see the 2021 season come to a close. I mean, sorry, the 2020 season come to a close. Wow. Um, I, you know, told Dave, <laughs> I was uh, thankful. Yeah. Right. Like, Hey, I'm in a time warp. Yeah. Get out of this crap. I, I haven't had to tell Dave after awards. I said, man, I really, you know, congratulations. I really think you guys did a very, very good job making, lemonade out of lemons this year has been total crap and based on where all the races were scheduled and reno not being able to let them go without more than a week's notice and all that that was that this team with ultra four was able to look around and pivot 
I think that's the key word of 2020 is pivot when it comes to businesses. And they pivoted very, as best as you could. And the racers stuck through it and showed up and you got Moab, you got here. I think ultra Ford did a great job as critical as, and I am a person that's critical of them. I will say that the, the timing issues and what I saw from USAC, I don't know if that my stamp of approval means anything, but I did watch the Lesage issue go from beginning to, to resolution and the, the driver Lesage, he was happy with this, with the outcome. Dave was happy with the outcome and me, I got a high level of confidence in now what that program looks like to make it work. And I have confidence in it now. So, um, where I'll tell you, I had no confidence in timing, which makes you look like a laughing stock and makes, you know, sponsors and companies not believe, well, they don't believe the results. You know, if, if, if right. I put my money behind a guy, you know, and you want to, you know, we pay a lot of money to go do this. And, you know, I kind of take 2020 for ultra four. It's kind of like a reset. We got to try some things that we've never done before. You know, where we got to go race in Moab at area BFE, which has been typically closed off. And so, you know, we got to try different things, you know, nationals in Oklahoma, who would have ever thought we were going to be racing nationals in Oklahoma. To me, that was an advantage to me over Reno because you guys like Vaughn Gettin and Lauren and Levi and Shannon Campbell, the guys that have a lot of short course, you know, that plays in their favor in Reno. Well, it levels the playing field when we got all these other things that we, you know, 110 miles or 105 miles, whatever it was, that changes things a lot. Absolutely. Well, it was good stuff. Well, hey, let's uh, let's get out of uh, current affairs real quick and jump into uh, the chip show. And let's uh, let's talk about you, North Texas guy. You grew up, I believe, in the Plano area. Is that right? Yeah, I was actually born in Houston. Okay. Lived in Houston until second grade, and then moved to, to Plano, and that's where I lived till I graduated high school. And that said about Houston, so I never really said you know we've met you know so I've I've known you basically from Pirate from back to the the archaic days of Pirate back in the early two thousands. But when right. when did we actually first meet physically in person? It's only been the last well, couple of years. The first time that you and I were actually at the same place together was at Spring Creek, and I think it was a Morock race. And I blame you for competing against Kelly Kaiser on selling ORI struts because you come out of the corner of that triple nickel car. And I'm like, how is that dude not flipping over? And I went over and looked and I was like, what are these Ori things? And so in my brilliant deal, like, well, I'm gonna start selling them. And so that's the, that was, Oh, Oh nine. Oh eight. Oh nine. Yeah. We, that, that car, I, I remember racing. So we raced King of the Hammers Oh nine in that car. And then, the Mo rock thing came up and they gave me a hard time. Like, Hey, this race is basically local Houston. I mean, for me, I think it was an hour drive uh, or ish. I can't skip a race like that, but I hadn't prepped the car. The car was still exactly how it was at King of the right. Hammers. And I actually timed out. I'd, I'd actually broke the chassis at one, at some point we had it welded on course. And then, so when we got, we got shut down at a, a checkpoint, well, I drove as fast as I drove race speed all the way back to main pits <laughs> and put it in the trailer. I was, you know, pissed off. Right. I mean, the, the car was still in great shape, except for I broke this, you know, this, this chassis point. Well, so yeah, we still had hammers dust on it when we raced it at Morock, but I don't remember meeting you there, but I do remember. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we met you and I were virtual friends and hell, I even had been to your house to give you, you know, deliver a bunch of tubing. Yeah. I, I, guess I bought your, steel from you. I bought, you know, inch right? and three quarter, uh, DOM, DOM from you. Yeah. And, right. and that's I, when I had Pringle fat. Well, I still have Pringle fat, but that's when I actually had my shop. 
and it was funny. Like I was like, I can't, I'm not going to be there. I can't be there. Like, ah, it's fine. So I, my wife comes home. Like there's a piles of pipe in our yard right. <laughs> and it was exactly. in the driveway. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. Chip's been there. No, yeah, man. So, but, but you've we been a met, friend. Yeah. Yeah. We met physically. It was around the fire at hammers. I think two years ago. Yeah. It, so it seems crazy that, you know, let's call it a 15 year relationship. Uh, on, online boyfriends, you know, online boyfriends, you know, right, when you exactly it's the way it always goes, so it didn't feel like you were a stranger to me. It was just, we just physically haven't been in the same room together. It's like, you know, it's like 2020, but zoom calls. Exactly. We just gave each other crap in person instead of over pirate it, or it, Facebook it, or whatever. It was solid. So you were born here in Houston and then you ended up up in North Texas. Correct. And then you, you graduate, were you in Plano during the whole black tar heroin? That happened era? right after me. And you know, I was fortunate. I So I, I tell people I grew up in Plano during the week and then my family, we have a thousand acres just outside of Dallas, up near, near Nakona, Texas. So Friday after school, me and my buddies would load up in the truck and we'd go to the ranch. So I wasn't in Plano a lot during the weekend. And, you know, I'm thankful for my parents that we got that experience where I didn't get into the drugs and, the, you know, it was bad. I had no, I was clueless. It happened right about the time that I graduated and was really bad after I left. Not because I left. I hung out in college. I dated a girl that was, uh, that was from Plano and, and that's, she, you know, this is the late nineties at this point, And she brought the whole black tar heroin thing up. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I'm at that point, small town, Kansas, pale of Kansas, me and miles <laughs> and Kelly Kaiser. Like, like, yeah. That, that, that's, you probably should have had some black tar. It's, it's a, it's three. a boom of metropolis. <laughs> now pale is pretty famous. You know, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's quite actually quite a few famous people from that little burg. It's a uh, kind of, kind of a little ridiculous how, how many famous people are from that little town, but that aside. So yeah, your dad, your mom, you guys had this ranch North of town, North of, North of the DFW uh, Metroplex. And you guys got out there all the time, right? Yeah. we, I think dad, mom and dad bought it probably, uh, I think it was 82, 83. So I was about 10 and, you know, I was driving at nine cars and, on motorcycles at seven. So that's where we went, you know, and that was our haven. Dad would, uh, the rule was as long as we stayed on the ranch, we were good. And we pushed that envelope a lot, but there's a lot of good things that came from that. I learned how to weld and build things and drive tractors. And, you know, I had city life during the week and ranch life on the weekend. And I couldn't ask for anything better. And I mean, looking at yourself and, you know, listening to talent tank and other guys and just knowing other guys in ultra four, isn't it really crazy the parallels that we can draw from like the collective stories that are so similar and that the fact that now we're, you know, for 30, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, you know, even 60 year old guys out racing like the, the, the parallels, they're so similar, like all on dirt bikes, four five, okay. six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you know, farm kids are learning how to fix it. Or dad was a mechanic and teaching us everything. It's That's, so insane that you know, birds of a feather flock together. It doesn't matter the age, right? Right. You know, and, and that's where, you know, like today's generation, I worry is like, you know, we're out on the ranch. We didn't have internet and TV. I mean, we had TV, but out of the ranch, we didn't even have telephones out there. And so, you know, you break something, you got to figure it out. You might not fix it the right way, but you know, it got done. And I can even think back that chip happens way back then by ripping barn doors at dad's barn or, dropping hay bales on the highway or, you know, whatever. So, I mean, but those are valuable lessons. I mean, most people learn from making mistakes. And that's where I, I feel today, man, like my own son, you know, I, 
he's not experiencing that. You know, I, I left the farm, you know, I, I got away from that and I'm living suburban America and he knows how to swing a baseball bat way better than I could. But outside of that, well, where you live and, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, sugar land in that area, with the hurricanes and things like that you should be a good swimmer and be able to rebuild a house. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you all been hit by a hurricane? <laughs> or good at roofing. How crazy is this? We are today is 1028 when we're recording this, you know, two a couple days before Halloween. You know, you guys are gonna listen to this and be like, well, obviously last week a hurricane came ashore two hours ago southeast of New Orleans. Yeah. How nuts is that? Hurricane Zeta. Yeah, I it was a cat too, even. That's nuts. Yeah, you know, I left. I mean, kind of jumping around a little bit. I left Plano right after high school, ended up at A&M and Galveston for a couple of years. But ultimately, I ended up in New Orleans and graduated University of New Orleans for uh, and spent 10 years there. And, you know, here I'm reading this week on Facebook, you know, one of their turbines, power turbines has gone down. Well, that means they can't run all the pumps. So, you know, they're closing all the floodgates and stuff today. And granted, it's only a cat two, but, you know, Bourbon Street's, I think, six or eight foot below sea level. So is the rest of the areas around there. I mean, right. I worked the hurricanes, Katrina, and, you know, with my job, I've been at all the hurricane, you know, rescue stuff and seen some pretty scary things. So a cat two hurricane going in New Orleans, that's kind of scary to me. That's I mean, a my devastating. son's living there now. Yeah, it, cat, cat two was, a, you know, up to 115 miles an hour. I mean, that's, we're, we're, that's a, <laughs> that will mess something up. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not really the, the winds, it's, you know, New Orleans, it's it's all about the flooding. Oh, I mean, that's the, what the really Katrina surge. was. Storm surge, man. Yeah. Just push, pu- pushes all the way up the Mississippi and then everything there on the Pontchartrain and everything there in, in the swamps around there. Yeah, it's something else. Man, well, I, I mean, we'll see what tomorrow looks like for those guys, but yeah. Doug Jackson will be busy with Operation Airdrop, and, which is a, just a, a cool organization and, uh, you know, started because of the hurricanes. We've been a part of that, and so – I'm eager to talk to him tomorrow. See what see what we can do. Yeah, so I'm absolutely going to go into the philanthropy work of uh, of Chip because that's a, a full line item of the things that you've done and that you do and you do on a regular basis. But uh, I'll jump into a uh, yeah, man, Edie, your wife, you guys both cancer survivors. Yes, sir. Right. I think she's five years. She nine eleven was her five year anniversary of being cancer-free from uh, stage three breast cancer. And then she ended up having, did she have the double mastectomy? Yeah, she she only had to have one, but okay. it, it was safer to go ahead and just do both and have reconstructive. And um, I mean, she had a hell of a fight, chemo and radiation. And it, it was a, it was a hard battle. And she then, made it through though. And then out of that though, she refused. If I heard the story right now, I could obviously, you know, Brad, you know, he's my background guy, you know, on this and some, and there's some other people that may be wrong here, but you guys got engaged, but then she refused to marry you if she didn't have hair. Correct. I I love this woman. Well, what, you know, and and that was one of the things she, she went and bought a wig when she first got it. And I looked at it and I'm like, that's just horrible. Don't wear that wig. And she was the most beautiful bald person I've ever met in my life. And she rocked it. I mean, we'd go to concerts or whatever and she'd get freaked out because people would touch her head. It was like weird for them. You know, she owned it and, you know, that was our fight. We made it very public. I was even at nationals. I'd gone up there to support the Twisted Monkey guys and Lauren and Shannon and 
Bailey Campbell and we got all the racers to go through and we made a video of her because she couldn't come up there. She had just had her double mastectomy and every one of them wished her well. It was a pretty cool emotional video just to have all the ultra four people support her. And we took an ultra four shirt and everybody signed it. And uh, she came back and cried when we gave it to her. She's got it in her memory box today. That's our family, right? Yeah. That's a, uh, we got to take care of each other. So you got, you guys end up getting married, you know, how many years ago is this now? Three years ago. So we got married three and a half years ago. We planned the whole wedding in like two weeks. We're driving back from Houston. My daughter lives down in Houston. She's like, all right, I'm ready. And I'm like, for what? She goes to get married. I'm like, don't tease me. I was like, you know, she goes, just pick the date. Well, April Fool's Day was two weeks later. So we got married on April Fool's Day. Which is pretty fitting for you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Spot on. And then. People didn't know if it was a real wedding or if it could come casual because we got married on the ranch. It was quite entertaining, and I even made it look like I got arrested on our wedding day, and most people saw through it, but a few didn't. A few didn't. Like my mother. And then what was the point where you were diagnosed with prostate cancer? So we got married April 1st. I don't know if I was, we're talking about the hurricanes. I was loading my truck up with the, and I was going to borrow a boat, and I was coming down to Houston to help with the hurricane. And, all the names. Uh, so was this 17 for Harvey? Yep. It was for Harvey. That's okay. exactly what it was. And I'm loading at seven o'clock in the morning and, and my doctor called and he was like, Hey, I need you to come in. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm headed to Houston to go help recovery. He goes, you have cancer. You, I was hoping that I was calling to tell you, you didn't have it, but you really need to come in. And that was a, uh, probably one of the worst days of my life turned out well. And, um, so I just postponed my, my trip two days. And that's actually when Doug Jackson and I, and a number of other people came up with the operation airdrop was that week. And before we, you know, close out the, you know, close out the cancer thing, all of this, because, uh, you know, the philanthropy and operation airdrop is super important to me as well as the, you guys went through, you know, you and you've gone through, you know, divorces and, you know, yep. just adversity upon adversity and, and the fact that you guys finding each other, finding love, you know, in, in your forties is hard. I mean, the dating scene and the way, by the way, not even the scene, the way that people date today and meet people today is just, it's freaking foreign to me. Like, yeah, it's insane. It's like, if it's, it's online only, like if it's weird, like I think you met eating in like a Mexican food restaurant, but that's, that is like a minority story today. Like that doesn't happen. It's not match.com or, you know, any of these other dating websites. I was innocently sitting, came into a, a bar and at the, re- sat at the bar at the restaurant and uh, she was sitting catty corny and we were talking to the waiter who knew, bo- or the, the bartender knew both of us. And she was telling stories about her daughter and her and I just started talking and that's where it went. And so that was what three, well, that was in 13, 2013. Was she involved at all in ultra, not ultra four, uh, just off wheel off roading? Did she Jeep? Did she anything? Or did you just, this just <laughs> freshly plucked her out of the herd, I, like out, out of, out of gin pop, you plucked her and I remember dumped her in a chaos. First time I took her for a ride in my car. She's like, you do what? And I took her for a ride and we were out at the ranch and I went to go up this ledge and she goes, we're going up that. I'm like, yeah, she screamed and she's like, all right, I want to do that again. I said, well, cool, because we're going to uh, Dirt Riot Nationals in Bridgeport in a couple of weeks. So I took her to that. And this is a funny story, and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for telling the story. 
we had just met probably dating a couple months, three months. Brad and I are in my old uh, Jimmy's 4x4 car with ORIs, race in Bridgeport. And I have an issue. I didn't hook up the steam ports on the LS motor correctly. I just capped them off. I had no idea that you had to reroute that stuff. I mean, that's how far back we go. So I'm walking around the pits and she's sitting there reading a book of all things. And she's got sunglasses on and I see her eyes over sunglasses. And she's watching somebody walk by. And I'm watching and I'm laughing. And it's Andrew McLaughlin. Andrew's walking. He's got no shirt on. It's back when Andrew was working out. I'm like, what are you doing? She was nothing. <laughs> she was checking Andrew McLaughlin out. I'm like, look, I spell my last name the right way with M-A-C. He spells it wrong. That's M-C. So you got to be with me. <laughs> so that was her first race ever was at uh, out there dirt ride in Bridgeport finals. Because I always find those stories funny when, you know, you talk to a guy who brings a their spouse, now spouse or fiance or whatever, and they had nothing to do with anything off-road. And then they're like, wait, you get in your truck and trailer and you drive to California race and then you go to Pennsylvania race and then you go to Oakland. Who does that? Yeah, exactly. And what was even funnier is, you know, last year we go out, you know, with Doug Jackson. I keep bringing Doug's name up. But – Doug and I and Brad and Zandy and Andrew McLaughlin and his wife and Chris Shaw from Axis and all this. We go out down to the. To oh, you went sailing. Trip. Yeah, you guys went yeah. sailing together. You might have been giving me some antics to upset people. Mr. Pete, but I kept telling the story. She's like, will you just stop telling that story? Because Andrew and his wife were there. I'm like, of course I'm going to tell the story. It was great. Oh, made Andrew's day. <laughs> Poor Edie. No, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll bounce to that. Wow. You, anyone that listens to this and knows me, I love the sailing. I have no idea why, um, or how it's just, it's now I feel like it's my thing. And I owe it all to Doug Jackson. I owe it all to ultra four, you know, like our, our group, our family, you know, well, I've shared a boat with Dave Cole and his ex-wife. So I've, well, I've, we, we owe a lot of the rules because of you and Dave Cole and Shannon Campbell and, Terry Madden and Clay the dance in the side of the boat. And, you know, yeah, we got shut down a bunch because like, Hey, I know what group you came from. Oh yeah. I know the Genesis of where you came from. So yeah, the, the last time we were down there, we took a bunch of folks from my neighborhood. And one thing we did in, uh, Jost Von Dyke in the BVI's swam over at night. Yep. Little, little seal team 40 plus. Yep. Little roll of duct tape. And you know where the bow lines come down off either side of the of the uh, of the catamaran, and they go through a mooring ball. So it's yes. one rope from one side of the boat goes down through the mooring ball and comes back up, and the boat just kind of stays there moored up. Well, what we did was pulled those lines together for about eighteen inches and wrapped duct tape around them right at the ball. Yeah. So <laughs> so so this is this is this is pretty sweet. And you're like, well, what, what's what exactly that is? Just duct tape. Well, in the morning when they got on there, the two guy two guys walked up and they just undo it off the cleats and they throw the rope to get off the mooring ball. And guess what? That rope it doesn't go, it doesn't go, yeah. th- it doesn't go through the islet. So they're still right. They're still yeah. hung up. And, you and, gave me that idea, and we had a uh, the night before you gave me that idea to do that to Doug and him. We actually had snuck on their boat. Clay Gilstrap was down there. Chris Shaw. They were all on this boat. We had gotten on their boat while they were eating dinner and stole Melinda Jackson's A&M flag. Oh. Took it off. Like went fighting back words. to our boat, put it on our sail, 
and went back and were very obvious. And they're like, oh, we caught you. You're not getting away with anything. I'm like, you have no idea what we've done. And yeah, it's the prank wars out there just as bad as King of the Hammers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somewhere in there. They get there. They get there. Circling back to, uh, yeah, the, the cancer, man. You guys went through like this massive amount of adversity, you know, with, with uh, right. marriage and kids and putting together the the Brady Bunch with your kids and Edie's kids and then her going through cancer and you being, you know, the rock for her through that. And then you also getting cancer. I mean, fuck cancer. I mean, that's the only word for it. Fuck cancer. Yeah. It, 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 it was like we couldn't get away from it. And it was and, just... Uh, it was bad news. It was rough on us. And I mean, actually, we almost took our marriage. I mean, I can't say I can't blame it on cancer, but just the emotions and the physical changes for both of us. I mean, it's 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 not a pretty disease. I'd like to find, you know, here that they find a, a cure for it. I was fortunate that I caught mine early on accident. I have ADD and take medicine and they found out my blood work. I had no symptoms. And, uh, you know, they're like, okay, we're gonna do a biopsy and I'll call you in a week and say, yeah, you don't have cancer. Well, they called me in a week and said, not only do you have cancer, we got to get you in like now. And I ended up having stage two prostate cancer. The youngest one my doctor had ever diagnosed. Oh man. 48. So he said, uh, I guess the most powerful thing he told me in the recovery part of it, you know, I guess the when you're 50 is when you're supposed to get your prostate checked. That you know, that's kind of the going age. He goes, if you would have waited, like doctors tell you, he goes, you wouldn't have made it. And that was pretty eye-opening and sobering to to hear. I mean, it meant, meant there was a reason, right? There was yeah. you know, s- some, something you hear about those. I mean, somebody, somebody kind of looking out for you. You guys have now been together. How long have you been married? I think I asked you, sorry. but uh, Three and, and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years. Yeah. But you've been together a lot longer than that. That's uh that's something else. And and you know, seeing Edie this weekend, good times. She is definitely fun. She keeps you uh she keeps you square. Attempts <laughs> I, I say attempts to. I shouldn't say she does, does. She attempts to. She tries her best. I mean, she's short, but she's mighty, as I say. Here's the thing that, that shocked me about you, and I would have never guessed it, that you are a mechanical engineer. I am. You have an Emmy. Uh, the funny part is is I didn't go get my mechanical engineering degree to be an engineer. I wanted to understand how things worked and how I could build things personally. I knew I, I didn't have the mentality to sit behind a desk and be an engineer. And it was something I wanted to prove to myself. And it was a, a hell of a ride trying to do it. It took me six, seven years to get it. I don't test well, you know, in the classroom settings uh, where I'm sitting next to guys and they're inventing formulas to come up with stuff. But you know, my senior design project was something called the mini Baja and it had to float. Well, all these genius engineers that I'm friends with didn't know how to weld or put a wheel on, you know? And so we're sharing a shop with like the electrical engineers. They're building a solar car. Well, guess who built their solar car? I mean, they did all the connections and solar panels and all that, but they didn't know what brakes, how to hook up brakes or do a cage ride or whatever. Or bleed them or any of that. Exactly. Or drive it. So you were the guy, um, right? It was me and a couple of other guys that had the same mindset that I'm still friends with today. You know, that, that was like a, just a personal goal for myself. And, ne- you know, I kept telling myself when I got out of school, I'm never going into oil gas and I'm never going to be an engineer. So my first job right out of school was an engineer in oil and gas at ExxonMobil and Chalmette. 
and I was designing pipelines and I was bored. Thank God I got laid off from that job nine months later and I went into sales after that. Um, and that's what I did for 20 years, but on the electrical side, which is the more entertaining part, it went on the mechanical side. But still in oil and gas though. Yeah, I, I was in oil and gas probably till about a year ago. Actually, I, five years ago, why I'm back in Dallas, I actually was a water resource engineer. I built pipelines and frack tanks and recycle plants out in West Texas for an oil gas plant. Oil took a dive, got laid off again, and uh, went back into sales. And then a year ago, uh, went to work for Zandy. And here we are now. And, and here we are now. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm in oil and gas myself. And I think everyone kind of knows that you can't, you almost can't be in Houston and not in it. And yeah, it's uh, people, I mean, I've had these discussions and like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've lived every, every day of my professional career life expecting it to be my last day with a, at that job, like every single yep. day you don't, you don't know. And, and so, well, you don't keep personal effects at work or things like that. Like, no, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, my, my eeriest oil and gas thing is funny because I'm not in oil and gas now. I run a, a construction company for Zandy. You know, that's why I do my day job. And oddly enough, we're building, uh, we're almost done with it. We're helping build a hospital in Pecos, Texas. And so I went out there to go visit the job site. And that was the day that oil went with negative $30. It went minus 30. Oh. And I'm like, in Pecos, Texas that day. And, you know, with COVID and everything shut down, I'm like, I just, don't know how we're going to survive this. Yeah. COVID was just starting to come on. So this was, we were in February when, uh, it was oh man about February the 21st, 24th, like somewhere that. in there. And COVID, it was a, it was a topic of discussion, but nothing had really been shut down yet for, for me, COVID didn't become real for a few more weeks. We were, uh, we were in West Palm beach, Florida, Houston Astros spring training, it was the Astros versus the Nationals, and it was the last preseason game that Major League Baseball played for the, or the Astros played in Major League Baseball. Uh, they shut down pre, uh, spring training the next day, but we were sitting there in the stands. Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo was going on. You know, this town they, shuts down for Houston yeah, Livestock Show and Rodeo. It's wild, isn't it? Oh, it's it's glorious. It's so it's it's three weeks of chaos and coolness and everybody wearing cowboy hats and boots, no matter what it is. And if you're at work and you're like, Hey, I got to go, Hey, I got to go work my shift or whatever, because you're a volunteer for like your boss is like, see you tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the most likely the boss was probably there too. Yeah, no, that's exactly, that's exactly it as well. So, so yeah, we're sitting, my wife and I are sitting in the stands with our kids in West Palm beach. And we get that text, uh, the notification that they've shut down, they closed Houston livestock show rodeo for COVID. And we're like, whoa, 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 what are we missing? This, whoa, you don't shut that thing down. Like, what are we missing? And yeah, I guess we've missed a lot. So we freaked out a little bit. We finished our vacation and came back. But yeah, no, so you're in Pecos, which is the the Delaware Basin. Right. Kind of the current, you know, for Houston West, you know, I mean, for Texas oil and gas, it is your west of, uh, well, you're west of no trees. Exactly. (laughs) Nobody's out here, so might as well. And you're a little bit, you know, a little, well, no, not even, not even really east. You're straight north of, uh, where, where do we have the ultra four race out on I-10? No, that was in, um, oh, no, that was right near El Paso. Blanco, uh, Blanco, uh, Texas. Uh, yeah. Blanco, Texas. Sierra Blanco. Sierra Blanco. There which is by the, one of the coolest races ever. And I wish we could go back and there's a lot of issues with that, but that was one of the most fun Everybody races said that. outside of the race. 
with the sheriff and all the things, the shenanigans that went on. It was just crazy. Yeah, that sheriff he bragged about he'd arrested Willie Nelson, right? Because the the yeah, the border that was his claim to fame. Yeah, and he had the those stickers that said "Don't be a pussy if you didn't jump." the the city street because we were coming down the creek and you'd have to go through the church parking lot jump the street and uh i think it was the, one of the gomez brothers they cartwheeled off of it clay gilstrap the funny story about this clay gilstrap had a steering problem so he rolled over the street this is when i was riding with doug jackson i was co-driving the sheriff comes wandering our camp he goes you clay gilstrap i said yes sir he goes good i'm putting a sticker on your car i said go ahead it was doug's car <laughs> so, but at the same time, that's when, when I, I, the memory is kind of fuzzy on this, but I think it was one of Shannon Campbell's guys. He'd the sheriff gone over to Shannon Campbell's camp and one of his guys stole the sheriff's truck and the sheriff pulled him out of the car, put him in handcuffs and said, I tell you what, I'm gonna make you a deal. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. You can run or I can take you to jail. That dude took off running and that, that sheriff started just laughing. He goes, man, I'm just messing with you. He's like, come back. I'll take him off. But that was a cool, it was a cool deal because the whole town like shut down for us. I mean, we started on Main Street in downtown, like on asphalt. And nobody thought, that, you know, you were talking about timing issues. Nobody thought the timers were working. I mean, I think Shannon Campbell got clocked at 120 going down the asphalt after we went under the I-10 bridge. I went back and looked at all that thing. And I'm going to tell you, those timers were right on. He's getting after it. Yeah, that was a fun, yeah. and the course ran right next to Mexico. Like you could you could walk across the border from Texas I to Mexico. Andrew, Andrew McLaughlin got out of his race car, walked across the the river, and took a picture and said, "I'm in Mexico." And then he walked back. Yes, that's I mean, exactly it, how it we was. were on the border. And, and people talk about, well, you need you need, need a border fence and border walls and all that stuff. Well, it's so remote, it's so rural. I mean, there's no way to almost no way to defend it, no way to put it out there, and it's. No. And I, I think that was one of those deals. I think it was Matt Howell and Adam Shear. They had a problem with their car. And so they're like, okay, we're just going to get on the service road and drive it back to pits. Well, the service road was under construction. They ended up on I-10 in the race car with their helmets and had to go through customs checked. Yeah. The border patrol check. Yeah. It was the greatest. I mean, I think he had a GoPro or someone that the video is classic. We did get that up. I've not seen video of that, but I knew the story. Yeah. Maybe my memory is going bad. I think there's video of it. Maybe it's just in my mind because I can picture those two goofballs doing that. And, you know, and some of the funny that, well, not funny, cool. I find it super cool is not the part where Matt Howell has retired from racing. That's not the cool part. I get, I get it though. I walked that same path myself, but that Dawson Allington bought his car and raced it yeah. this past weekend. So it's very it baby Jeep racing. I think baby Jeep racing. What was Matt's car? The 4510? 4510, yeah. 4510. Every time I see it, it reminds me of Super Dave Osborne. That's, oh, yeah. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it reminds me of Super Dave Osborne's. Because he always, I mean, just like his hair, his car was always polished. I mean, if he wrecked a corner, I mean, they would replace the corner. I mean, that car looked showroom every time it showed up to a race. Every time. Beautiful car. Dawson Allington, man, you, you got a good car, man. It was good to see you race this weekend, even though I didn't catch up with you. So, so yeah, so we we're talking about, you know, West Texas, Pecos, Sierra Blanco racing out there, oil and gas. But now, you know, you, you went to work for, uh, for Zandy. How did you meet? So Zandy's kind of the, like I said, the figurehead, the guy over Rufus racing. And then he's, yeah. he, he's got a you know a handful of different businesses, but how did you and Zandy flange up? 
And it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, you go wheeling up in Clayton and up in Oklahoma and drink beer with people. And, you know, I've met some of my best friends out there, you know, doing this stuff. And one of our buddies, Logan, we call him Lulu, you know, Logan got Zandy to come out to King of the Hammers the last year that I raced with Hammers. So that had to be with Doug with, and that had to be 18. And he came out and wanted to see what this whole King of the Hammers thing was about. And he came home and he goes, I want to buy a car. Well, he bought a car and I talked him into to Doug's and walked him through the whole deal. And I knew the car and knew he was getting a good car. He's like, all right, I need somebody to drive it. I'm like, I put my hand up. I'm like, hell, I'll drive it. I'll show you how to do this stuff. I've been around it a long time, uh, you know, long enough. You know, so we started doing it. So we started going to different races. And it was just me racing with Brad in the car. And I was in oil and gas still, but I was taking a lot of time off from work. And it got to the point where I was taking advantage of things. And I think it was when we were down in um, Mexico, down in San Felipe. I'm like, look, you know, if we want to keep doing this, you know, you've got the staffing company. I know oil and gas. Why don't we start an oil and gas side of it? He goes, man, that sounds like a great idea. Well, that turned into me being in the race shop for eight months. But, you know, that that's kind of how it started because then we bought Nightmare which was unexpected. And then we bought Wacker's car, which was even more unexpected. So we show up at King of the Hammers and we've got our three cars. I didn't know which car I was going to race Wacker's or Doug's old car. And, uh, he had nightmare. And then we had the guys, you know, Pip justice and the guys from Australia that have Daryl Gray's old car, which was Lauren Healy's winning car back in 12, we think. And then we decided to build these razors to go pre running, which turned into a, Hey, I'm faster than you between Zanny and I. So we entered those in the King of the Hammers. You know, so for eight months I was in the shop. I had a broken back in the middle of that. And, you know, we're coming back from Hammers this year. And he goes, man, this shit's expensive. He goes, if we're going to keep doing this, we got to, we got to go make some money. I'm like, all right, what do you want me to do? He goes, here's a company. I want you to go run it. So I run Eco Earthworks, which is a, a dirt construction company and COVID hit and, I'm going to tell you, on our side, COVID was a blessing for us because we haven't stopped. I mean, because people were at home, we were regrading yards and companies were, you know, rethinking what they're doing. And to me, it was just easier. I could roll down the, the highway at 30,000 pounds and nobody jumping out in front of me in DFW and get through town in 45 minutes instead of three hours. Yeah, it is awesome. So it was a, that, that's kind of how that whole thing worked. And, you know, we're still kicking today. So that is solid. Yeah. And, and then, so then Zandy has even some, some further, further things. Cause I mean, he, I'm going to back it up just a little bit. So you guys invited me out to Texplex to Midlothian. Right. There was another race going on that weekend. I don't remember what was going on. It was so it was, they, they had a bunch of UTV races and Zandy and I wanted seat time. So I went and talked to the guys and said, Hey, why don't you let us run a 4,400 class? And they're like, okay. And they had seen us out there practicing. So I set this race up for us just to test and tune. And I ended up two weeks before that crushing my hand and couldn't drive. So Brad, my wonderful co-driver, he's like, I'll drive, as he always does. I think we had five cars. It was Zandy, Brad, Cody St. Clair, Jay Aiken. That's right. It was only four cars. It was kind of cool to show a different, something different than UTVs down there. It's a short course race. And uh, that's when you came down there. So I actually had it on my calendar I, because last in January, they put out this, uh, you know, Texas pre-runner calendar for that, for that place. And that was going to be a pre-runner weekend. So I right. had it on my calendar and every single time 
that pre-runner weekend was going to happen. Either I had something or it poured down rain. Yep. So and that pre-runner course goes through all kinds of creeks. And it was always and it was muddy. Cool. So yeah. I'm like, well, you know what? I'm committing. I, my, my son, I was like, you know what? We're going to go. I, you know, been in conversations regularly with, with uh, Hunter Miller, who is the King of the yep. Hammers UTV champ. Uh, from this right. past year. And he Good. didn't live very far from us either. No, yeah, right. He's up in your neck of the woods, him and his brother, and then, uh, uh, you know, the heart. And, uh, oh, man, there's so many great racers in that area that were, were uh, you know, Kyle Chaney, uh, who RJ mm-hmm. Anderson was there. It's a legit series. And oh, yeah. so they had uh, the pre-runner thing going on that day that they canceled because it rained. You know, I, when I left Houston, it was pouring down rain. It didn't stop raining until we got somewhere north of Waco. And then we got there and I was like, okay, if the pre-run thing's going on, I am not doing it. I can't believe how muddy my truck got just in the parking right. lot. Like it was just right. slop and bad. And that thing, you know, it's, a, it is a two wheel drive, but with, you know, full locker rear, it amazingly goes pretty damn well in mud. Like, so I just remembered when you and I met in person, that's when you debuted that truck at King of the Hammers and you got it stuck in the sand. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bury yeah. that fucker. Oh, excuse yeah. Me. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much every time I've stopped that truck in sand, I've buried it's it. Stuck. It, it don't it, stop. Well, that's that's the key, but you know, yeah, it doesn't always work out. You know, best laid plans, right? So yeah, we came up there and right. you and you guys were doing this like I'm going to call it ultra four expedition. What, what do you call it? Extravaganza? No, no, that's not the right word. Exhibition. We were just exhibition. Yes, that's the right word. Wow, I had to dig that one out. Uh, but no, Hunter, Hunter had been trying to get my son to come up to. Uh, basically, you know, he's a baseball player, but. I really would like him to race. And every time I come to an event, just like this past weekend, Hey, when are you getting another car? Well, I'm going to probably get in another car when my 13 year old decides he wants to race. And right now he's all into baseball. So Hunter is like, listen, he won't fit in any of the smaller cars. We're going to do this naturally aspirated 1000 class. He's perfect for it. Bringing. So this little dude, he's, was he thir- I think he was only 12 at that point, but now he's 13 now. And those, he has national champions, you know, Can-Am sponsored factory drivers twisting his arm and telling him you need to do this. Yeah. It's go time. And he's like, no, he doesn't get it. And you know, maybe in the future is somebody will, you know, he'll look back and be like, wow, I had like the names, like the who's who in UTV racing telling me I need to get into this. And I, I didn't get it. Well, I I think every kid should do that. I mean, it's expensive and you know, us being type a personalities like, no, I want to drive, but I think that leads kids, you know, especially today's world with all the electronics that would lead them in a different direction. That's exactly what I want. I I want less Fortnite, more shop time. That's Mm -hmm. what I, that's what, that's what he needs in his life. That's what I need in my life. I, I know I like bouncing around. Right. So you're a Harley guy. Well, it's funny. I just became a Harley guy. We went to Sturgis here that's two months funny. ago, three months ago. Yeah, and that's we took Groms. And, you know, we've done this too. We did it last year too. We take four Groms up there. We ride all through Sturgis. I think last year in uh, 19, I think put 150 miles on the Groms. And those things are so quiet. You hear people laughing at you. At yes. Well, explain what a Grom is. I know what a Grom is, but a lot of people maybe it's don't. Just so, like mini- a mini bike that's street legal 125 cc's honda makes them and of course all ours are all wrapped like the texas flag there are pit bikes i mean i've ridden this thing through hotels in lake havasu we've taken them to mexico i mean we take them everywhere and we take them to sturgis so we did it last year this year 
you know, we, we took them again, you know, drove through Deadwood and, you know, I'm really excited that we're going to be at Sturgis in 2021 with Ultra 4. It's going to be huge at the Buffalo Chip. It's a cool course. But we ran Harleys, and which was my first mistake. And we ran it for two days because I got ADD. I mean, I buy and sell cars, race cars, Jeeps, whatever. I'm like, I'm going to get bored with this in a week. Well, Brad and, asked me to ask you, and this is the great, Brad asked me to ask you, how many cars have you owned in your life? I think I'm knocking on 60. I mean, at, at one point I had three of them and, it, it, and and they range. I mean, I've had a Hummer and I've had a Viper and a Lotus. Not doesn't mean I make a lot of money. It's just I didn't do other things. I just bought cars and I would rotate them every six months. And I, I think 60 is my number right now. So we rent these bikes in Harley, you know, up in Sturgis. And we had them for two days. We were there for two more days. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to extend these. So I called a Harley dealership. I'm like, well, no, not only can we not extend them, you were supposed to be here 30 minutes ago, and the people are here waiting for the bikes. I'm like, oh, crap. So me and Brad and Peanut, we get on the bikes, we ride them in there, and ADD kicks in, and I drive out with a 2020 Street Glide. And I've put a lot of miles on it since. And it's black. It's beautiful. It's, uh, it's something else. It's, it's solid black. Edie loves it. I mean, she'd never ridden on a Harley. I never had ridden on a Harley before. And we did the Black Hills, put 250 miles on it there. It's sitting in the garage right now with 1,400 miles on it. We're leaving tomorrow to go down to Banderas to ride the Twisted Sister route down in South Texas. And it's a it's a cool, different different avenue. It gets me you know, out of racing, out of work, and just something that her and I can enjoy together. And have your own thing, right? Get away from kids, exactly. get away from get away from the – the headaches and the heartaches, right? Right. Or where are you guys staying? You guys staying like like Fredericksburg? Uh, it's a town called like Utopia, and I'm not real familiar with it down there. Not familiar with it um, either. But we're taking the RV down there and putting the bikes behind it, and you know we're gonna leave tomorrow night. And if we don't make it, we'll stay wherever we, you know, whatever Walmart I can find, and make it down there on Friday. Sounds like you guys are really roughing it. Yeah, it, it's bad. I mean, and that's kind of cool thing about racing. I mean, you see all kinds of cool. That's one thing I've enjoyed about the past two years. I mean, we've been to both coasts. We've been into Mexico. We're down to the Baja 1000. I mean, I actually like driving to the races. I mean, hell, Reno, I think, is – well, Sacramento was, I think, 1,800 miles for us. And you see some cool things. Hall. I, hell, I think I think Moab's a haul. I think Moab's hard to get to. For me, I, it just seems like a hard one to get to. Feels like For me, it feels like King of the Hammers from Houston is – just a one shot. Yeah, I literally get on I ten and then I get off at Palm Springs. Right, exactly. That's and, you know, hammers. I used to think was like this long ways, but after going to Reno and Sacramento, and you know, it's weird to say that San Felipe, Mexico, is closer to here than going to Hammers. Yeah, it's that, way closer than going is. to Reno, or Sacramento. Oh yeah, by, by by half a day. And you know, that's why I was so disappointed that Nationals. You know, it was at Davis, Oklahoma, because that was a whole 67 miles from my house. It was bad. It was a horrible drive. Are you that far north? You're in uh, Carthage? No. I mean, right outside Denton. Denton. Where the 35s merged back together. What's the university? Is there University of North Texas? University of North Texas. Yeah, University of North Texas. The the Mean Green. What What is the Mean Green? I don't even know what that is. I don't know. They got a bunch of green stuff on their college, so they think they're mean. I don't know. My sister graduated there, so maybe I should ask her. Right? No, that's sad that neither, <laughs> neither of us neither of us know. So uh, we we always talk about you know chip happens and some things like that. But and your prankster, 
but you have this uncanny ability to catch things on fire, like vehicles. Yeah, I do. And for owning 60 vehicles in your life, you know, based on that and how, and you don't always burn down your own stuff. You burn down other people's stuff. I've only burned down other people's stuff. That that's the better part of this. And what's even funnier is the first one that burned down was uh, Brad and I went in together and bought a, a 40 foot diesel pusher. This is back around 08, 09. And we had it up at the ranch and, you know, Brad and I are a whole lot alike, but sometimes very polar opposite. And I was driving into the ranch and he's like, dude, don't try to make it up to the hill of the house. And uh, my, it's raining, it's muddy. I'm like, screw it. I'm trying it. Well, I blow out three of the rear four tires, end up leaving it month later. Of course it happens at the, the stroke of midnight into Halloween. I get a call from my dad. He goes, Hey, I need you to come to the ranch. I'm like, why? It's like 11 o'clock. Well, actually, he called Brad because my phone was dead and tells Brad this. And uh, he goes, you need to come get your bus out of the driveway. And Brad's like, why? He goes, it's on fire. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so my phone's dead. They think I've gone up from I was living in Houston time. They think I've gone up and burned the bus down. But it, it had a short refrigerator and burned to the ground, blew out all the windows of my dad's house. Brad also happens to own a fire sprinkler company, which makes it even better. Fast forward five years, this last year, I go to work for Zandy, and I have a company truck, brand new F-350, 19, 2019. We got most of the race team up there. We're celebrating uh, Logan's bachelor party. We go wheeling around the ranch, and I get the same phone call from my dad. Hey, you got to come get your truck out of the driveway. Why? It's on fire. I burnt down a brand new 2019 F-350. I was like... Not only am I going to lose my job, I'm not going to be able to race anymore, and it wasn't my fault. We might have had some fireworks that relit, burned the truck to the ground. Well, I mean, insurance paid, right? Oh, yeah, and that's the funny part. It's never been on my insurance. That's It's always somebody else's. So that truck, when that truck burned, was really the first shock for me. I'd heard about the aluminum duties, but I never really, I guess, expected it to burn the way it did. There was nothing left. There was, you know, it's, it's funny because we got back and uh, this is even the sadder part. Zandy's mom had passed away. She had been sick. So he had to go to out to West Texas for the funeral. We were leaving at six o'clock the next morning to drive out there. We were taking that truck and another truck, which was our uh, buddy Casey's truck. It was sitting right in front of it. It melted all the taillights and the camera and everything on the back of the truck. So we're trying to put the fire out before the fire department gets there. And we didn't know that how much magnesium was in a Ford Super Duty diesel motor. We hit that motor with water, and it exploded. All it, we had to repaint the whole front uh, top of Casey's truck because it splattered, and it went real quick. Now they did find my keys. Like I had all my you know house keys and equipment keys and all that was in the door. None of those burnt. They just fell on the ground. They even got business cards, and I know they're around. I haven't seen them yet, but it like burned the edges of my business cards. And it, it was that quick of a fire. It was crazy. Just gonskis. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, if so, anything, it's, it's, it's just don't get around chip. I mean, that's kind of the thing that chip happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a theme. So the funnier part is when I got the next truck, I went to the dealership, to pick it up and it had the, uh, on the back of the 18 wheelers, the, the danger signs, the flammable and all that. It had one of those zip tied to the grill. Which it I think is only fair. Which I think is only, yeah, hey, 
I didn't get fired and I still get to race cars. <laughs> that, that, that you do. All right, man. I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about y'all's race efforts. I want to talk about King of the Hammers this past year and kind of how you guys, you know, you guys had a very good showing. And then this year you've had a very good showing again, nationals. You worked your way up. Where did you finish in the national point series this year? You were close. Year, I think was, I think it was 18th. I, I went into the, I went in 10th. And, uh, because we didn't finish and lost all the points. I mean, there was only a hundred points between 10th and third. Yeah. You know, so it was a big shakeup. Um, didn't do as well as the, we wanted neither Zandy or I, but you know, in everything that, you know, that is a negative, there's always good. I mean, we, uh, my feeling is we made a statement, you know, I'm getting faster. I had a problem with, you know, trying to get out of my head after breaking my back and then, you know, had crushing a finger, back i don't know it was april or sometime you know that was a hard thing to get back in the car especially after breaking a back i mean that that's just wild and then watch casey Shear break his back two weeks after i did mine you know it shows you how quick things could change for you but we made a statement i mean i started driving faster zandy started driving faster we bring a huge crew with us i mean the, the core of rufus racing is only six or seven guys but you know we show up to a race like oklahoma i think we had i don't know 50 people out there wearing rufus gear well i can say that that's when i showed up at midlothian and i got sidetracked on that story when i walked up to the rufus trailer you actually you and Edie weren't there in that you guys had the full awning out off the side of the 18 wheeler right. and that's what you race out of this 18 wheeler with the full awning yep. there wasn't a single car under the awning but it was standing room only shoulder right. to shoulder with people, and this was during, you know, COVID was fully on and there wasn't a mask to be seen. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Now, I mean, Zandy, you know, he's not a public person. You don't see, you know, a lot of people know who I am. They don't know who Zandy is. The dude's a funny dude. He's a great dude. He's a very giving guy. You know, one of his mottos in life is let's go make memories. You know, we might not finish a race. But I'm going to tell you, we got some of the best stories and pranks and just a hell of a lot of fun, you know, and that's what Rufus Racing's about. You know, uh, neither one of us have ended up on a podium. The only time I've been on a podium was last year. I got third in the East Coast Series. I have a podium. I've come close a number of times, but I've not been on the podium during a race. And, uh, you know, we're having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. See, that's where I'm at. It, it's always, I can tell you, I can't always tell you who won the race, but I can always tell you who I remembered from the race. It's whoever was ha- like put on the biggest show. Somebody so that was you, a show. You talked to Brad and, you know, we talked about me breaking my back and he drove for me at nationals. I'm sure he asked you to ask me about the highlight reel of last year's nationals. No, I, I, I actually don't. I don't think that made it. He asked me to ask some things like, uh, your relationship with Tanya Harding. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, Which, we'll get to that in a second. Right. And then, um, yeah. uh, th- 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 there's some other good stuff on there, but we can skip that. But yeah. So, so, so the highlight Brad reel for nationals last year, 2019, Brad was my fill in for nationals. My back was broken. So I was in the pits and he was going, uh, you know, his last chance qualifier. He was doing really good earlier. He broke a tie rod uh, or a heim on the tie rod. So he didn't get to finish one of the race. So he ended up in LCQ and he was going against all South Jeff. Okay. All South Jeff was ahead of him and got in that lock, the last rock section and his car went in limp mode. And I started screaming in the, the, the radio. I was like, go, 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 go. 
Brad hit that last rock section, jumped half the rock section and got across it and ended up hitting the big tractor tire at the K rail four foot from the finish line, flipped, was disoriented and didn't know where the hell he was. But he did lean wheels down though, right? He did. Yeah. But also Jeff snuck around him because he was reaching up to hit the kill switch because he thought he was upside down. And uh, so he missed it just like milliseconds. He reminds me, he goes, now nobody's, nobody knows who won that race or whatever, but they know that video made the highlight reel. He goes, what have you done? And I'm like, you are such a jackass. Completely honest. showed up last week or something. He reminded me of it. Yeah, but hey, put you in your place, right? You know, uh, you know, just just set you up. Yeah. Gave you a tune-up, so old the, hand. Yeah. So the, the Tanya Harding deal, I was on World's Dumbest Drivers. It was funny because I didn't know it. I'm sitting there watching TV, watching World's Dumbest Drivers, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that looks familiar. I'm like, holy crap, that's me. <laughs> and it was uh, it was uh, King of the Creek. Roland Bale had done it down at Spring Creek, had done this race, and I had gone down there to race it. Ended up winning it. The guy behind me blew a transmission or something, and it started on fire. So they were really making fun of him. But Tanya Harding was like, so what do you win if – you win King of the Creek. You get the prom date with a pregnant chick or I don't remember what she made, but yeah, they were making fun of me on world's dumbest driver. So that's where that story comes from. You get a break your back in the future. So uh, it's something, something I always ask is uh, what's your advice for guys getting into this sport? What's your advice for guys looking for, for sponsors? What's your, what's your advice for guys that are, uh, or maybe they're even current drivers. What's some advice? Cause I, I, I have a, a new nugget that I want to drop here after you, I get your side of it. Well, you know, it, I always say drugs are cheaper, even with rehab. I'm thankful, you know, the only way I'm racing is because what uh, Zanny and Andrew, you know, Zanny's wife, what they're doing for the team. You know, without them, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing. Um, we don't have any sponsors. And, you know, we have a, a media person who knows marketing we bring a videographer to every race. Uh, now, COVID's been a little different. He wasn't with us in uh, Moab or Tennessee, but you know we've got a lot of really professional done videos. Me and Zandy and the group of us, we, we put together a package, you know, a media package to send to people. And you know, today we don't have one. And it, it's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'm gonna go race this professional thing called King of the Hammers, and sponsors are gonna come, just knocking on the door, and that's not the not way it is at all. And, you know, I've looked at what like Lauren and Levi and Vaughn Getton and Shannon Campbell and all them do. And it, it, they have a lot of people behind them and they, they have a product, they have a character, their cars are characters and they're drawing people in. And, you know, so I started like the Facebook and the Instagram page for Rufus racing. Well, I, I, let me, let me interrupt right there. I, I, I do yeah. want to back that, back that up a little bit and, a lot of guys supporting them, you know, at most races, you know, or even in the shop time, you know, like Levi Shirley, it's just Levi, you know, yeah. and, and for Eric Miller, it's, it's Eric plus one yeah. for Horschel. It's, it's Paul plus one, sometimes Paul plus two. It's right. You know, and, and that's, that's rare. I mean, it's not these big teams where there's 10 guys that are always in the shop or whatever. Yeah. You, you may see them on race day and they've got, five guys or 10 guys depending like so you guys you were an hour from home or an hour and a half from home or two hours right. from the from the metroplex you 
pull a big crowd because family and friends, this is the closest you'll be that they can come watch you race. Right. So they can exactly easily yep. come out. And so you get that, you know, the kind of, let's call it the hometown crowd, which is awesome. Yep. It makes you feel great. But yeah, I mean, people like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, you know, like Campbell's Campbell's are the prime example this past weekend. I mean, if Campbell wasn't your last name or you weren't engaged to a Campbell, uh, I mean, they did have exactly. two of the guys there. Plus Doug, who's their, their, their truck driver. I mean, if it wasn't for that little, they, they do everything themselves. It's not like pit crews, pit crews are, you know, multiple pit crews pit for multiple guys will pit for multiple cars because it's right. like this. Yeah. I, I'm, I would rather beat, you know, those guys out on the, you know, so you team up. It's this, that's, I think that's why ultra four is such this family oriented because we know it takes all of us to get it takes an army. Yeah. Oh God, it does. So we've got, we've got three cars. It's John Fry and diamond Dave in the shop every day. Those two guys keep the race cars together. I used to be in the shop every day and I'm running a construction company now. So I, you know, it's kind of a detriment to me on the race car side, making money for us. But, you know, I don't know every bolt and nut of the car like I normally do. And, you know, like here we're in Dallas, NASCAR, I think, got to run today. They were supposed to run on Sunday. You know, those guys got multiple cars. Tomorrow, they've got to be somewhere else. You know, so I know they sent another team with cars and, you know, they can go race this weekend. You know, we don't have that. You know, we have sometimes at least as three weeks, maybe six weeks to turn a car around. And these cars take a horrible beating. I mean, hell, we got to pull two motors, you know, for these cars. Thankfully, we got three months before hammers. But it's amazing on what Ultra Four does. I mean, Lauren Healy, I mean, they're in Moab. JT, all their cars race this weekend. I mean, JT doesn't race anymore, but, you know, the guys that are, you know, at that, that Moab show and even at the Sand Show, they got canceled two weeks ago. Their cars were there. Yeah. So I saw Von Gittens Brocky is there right now. That, that car was on the podium. It was third place. He got third place, 4,400 yep. race, and it's there. I got to believe all Lauren did pull it off the trailer, hose wash it, it down, wash it down and detail it, armor all it, whatever it took, and then roll it into place. It has not exactly. been, and probably put fresh panels on it. It probably got fresh panels, but it, it's still totally worn out. By the way, I got to bring it. I, I saw That's something. It, right? in, yeah. I, I got to bring up something in your notes. It's uh, I saw the memes of KOH meme on oh, that. Yeah. And it's the, it, it's the cartoon of right. The third the third guy, third place podium guy, just yep. he's blasting himself with champagne. He's just having like, it's, oh, it's it. beautiful. And then they zoom out and it's the dudes like in third place in the first place and second place. They're like, what, what the hell doing? third place? Yeah. Well then literally real life, you know, mimics <laughs> and yeah, it, Vaughn sprays himself. Yo, he's going to town with his champagne and you got Eric Miller standing on the podium with Paul Horschel in on in the second place podium and they're both looking at Vaughn like What are you doing? What the hell, it, dude? It was beautiful. <laughs> like it oh, was, I loved it. Whoever caught that and whoever captured that and whoever, you know, made oh man, uh you, you I'm still laughing. Memes. You know, to me it's an honor to make memes. Like it, it's like any you know, well, let me phrase that. Most publicity is good publicity. You know, like on memes, and I always find great humor, no matter how goofy it is. But, you know, uh, bringing up like Facebook and Instagram and me trying to figure out as an engineer, I got numbers and stuff in my head and views and likes and blah, blah, blah. I found the stupidest crap gets more views and more attention than the professional videos. Like 
we did this that stupid rain dance in Tennessee when we took the 43 TSLs. We were going to race on them. So we did a rain dance just to piss everybody off. And it rained 20 minutes before the starting. And I got a text from Alan. He's like, you're an asshole. <laughs> and I'm like, this is beautiful. Now, granted, it didn't work. But, you know, that even goes back in the day. And I, I know when I say this, you're going to you're going to remember it. But back, Carl Lamborghini. Carl. I cannot Lamborghini. say his name right ever again because Mike Stewart made all those middle of the mall shit videos. And he would always say, Carl Lamborghini with all his chains and all that. I still think like, you know, he was a pioneer in this advertising and, you know, public meeting when we didn't even know what that stuff was. Even today, I'm seeing like our rain dance, the stupidest thing you could ever do. That's the one that got the most views out of everything we've done. And I just think it's interesting on the way that people interact with our race teams. Well, I, th- I think it's, you found your, your niche, right? And I'm, don't, I, please don't take this as a knock. I, you're, you're just a fun guy, man. You, you love having fun. People love to be around you that love to have fun. So if you put out something serious, it comes off as so not genuine because they're right. the people that know you are like, that ain't that guy. That's, that's not chip yeah. or, you know, I mean, that that's exactly it. And, you know, that goes back to the happy birthday with JT. I know it drives them crazy. He's gotten even with me. And, you know, every time we see him, you know, we yell happy birthday. And we were at King of the Hammers running the UTV class. And Diamond Dave got to ride with me. And I come into Wacamole, new trail. Hadn't run it yet. I heard it was easy. And I shoot off the side of the ravine and end up upside down in the ravine before even the hard part of Wacamole. And Diamond and I come crawling out of the car to flip it over. And who drives up but JT Taylor? And I'm like, Oh, great. I just screwed up. And here's JT making fun of me. He goes, you all right? And I said, yeah, happy birthday. He flipped me the bird and he drove off. And, you know, that's the way our life is. I mean, I flipped him off one time in Tennessee and ran smack right into a tree because I wasn't paying attention. And that's, you know, those are the memories I, I remember. And it's a lot of fun. I'd rather much do have those memories. And nobody remember who won that race. Well, I think, you know, people are like, well, this is just kind of a diatribe here, but I think, you know, the, the gist of it is, and if you boil it down to is finding, like knowing who you are, knowing who you are, and then leveraging that talent. Don't try to be someone who you're not, you know, for marketing of your race team, marketing of your race efforts or whatever, be you, be you as best as you can be you and just own the shit out of it. I mean, yep. that's the only, like my word for that is just, you just have to own it and you got to take it to that like next level and whatever that equals, if it's, you know, having a videographer to follow you around or if it's TikTok, you know, whatever yeah. it is, own the hell of it. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I, I, I go with that, man. I, that's I, I, where the, the chip happens comes from. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothing, but so, uh, philanthropy, man, we, we jumped on it a little bit ago when you, you know, the, the day that you uh, got diagnosed, you got the call about having cancer. Yep. You guys, you and Doug Jackson had put together some stuff. You guys were going to head down here to the Texas Gulf Coast from North Texas to, uh, I mean, to help with the Hurricane Harvey effort. I mean, I was one of the most devastating hurricanes to hit the, the, the Texas coast in, the, in recent history. I ended up heavily involved in that. My neighborhood flooded. You know, we had the Brazos River was at flood stage. There was water in my neighborhood. My wife was using one of my Humvees to deliver medications around, you know, the neighborhood. Chris Summers, BJ Allen, 
all the guys over at Barco Pump. Yep. We got together with them, and they sent down uh, a, a tr- eighteen wheeler after eighteen wheeler of uh, big, huge pumps. Yep. And, and you know, we built a supplemental pumping station inside my neighborhood in a cul-de-sac in the middle of you know five six hundred thousand dollar homes. We plopped yep. down, you know, a couple million dollars worth of pumps and started pumping water right. over the levee out to uh, the the Brazos River. But you guys came up with well, I mean, so so during that. Doug called me and it was in the, the, the hurricane hadn't even fully come ashore. We were still like rain bands, but we were already flooding and the, we had hit mandatory evacuation for my neighborhood. So we, we bailed and it's a terrible story, but we were just going to go uh, uh, up to my father-in-law's house. And he said, yeah, come on over. Well, we drive over there. He's in Sugarland. We're down in Missouri city, uh, Texas. And we get, we get over to his place. We couldn't even get to his house. Cause there was three foot of water, four foot of water on the street. Like, I mean, there's a stop sign with a foot of post showing underneath the stop sign to the right. water level. Well, he had, he lives on a corner lot. He looked out the front door and he could see the street in front of his house, but he didn't look down the side road, which is the one that you have to come into the <laughs> neighborhood in. on. And it's like, you, you need a, you need a boat. And so we were, we could see his house two blocks away and we're calling like, we can't get to you. So we ended up six hours later in college station. Yeah, which was what normal drive hour and a half from you? Maybe hour twenty. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. six. And we we just couldn't get across the river multiple places. Well, anyway, we're sitting there in the hotel room and in College Station, Texas, and Doug Jackson calls me and says, "Hey, are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man, we're we're good. We're but we're in College Station." So he goes, "Well, this is what I'm thinking. Tell me, t- I want to do something. I want to do something. I think we can fly stuff down there." Well, I think initially it was going. We're going to put stuff in trailers. And we're gonna we got to bring stuff down there. Rockport got devastated. Rockport got destroyed, yes. just wiped. They got horribly destroyed. Horribly destroyed. And he said, I'm, "We're gonna do something. We're gonna do something. What do we need to bring?" And I'm again, I'm sitting in a hotel room. I don't know. And I'm like, I mean, uh, waters. Um, I'm just thinking like what I've seen on CNN, right? Uh, diapers, baby formula. I'm just you know shouting things out. I mean, I I don't know. I I go. I remember the thing that Carl McIntyre. If anyone remembers Carl, he used to wheel a. Uh, a twisted uh, customs buggy, a red twisted customs buggy. I think it's in California now, but he's a Mississippi or Louisiana guy. Carl, during Katrina, he made really good money. He was in the uh, mattress business, and that was mm-hmm. the thing that sold out because when people, whenever the, the first thing people replace is their bed. Right. And if you can't get a good night's sleep, and I started, so I was like, mattresses. I, I don't know, Doug. And, and, and that was, I think we talked one more time after that, but next thing I know, you – in a crew, including Doug, you guys loaded up a bunch of cattle trailers. Yeah, we. that's when Doug owned the, the trailer company, Texas Custom Trailers out of Decatur. I got a brand new cattle trailer. I had a one ton. We filled it, I think, seven. I would know I was way overloaded, but I had seven pallets of water. Around all the water, we put in diapers and dog food and dry food and flashlights and batteries. And then Doug had another, like an enclosed trailer, I think we had one or two generators in there. And then, you know, even like toothbrushes and toothpaste. I mean, when we, we rolled into Rockport, we were there before the National Guards were. And, uh, you know, I'd worked other hurricanes before. And, of course, we went very heavily loaded with guns and stuff like that. But we got escorted. And the, you know, just seeing the people come and being gracious on what, you know, we were doing, you know, giving back is just an awesome feeling. And, and that's where Operation Airdrop came from, was from that weekend. 
and and Doug's got a really good story about a guy showing up with a truck. He didn't have any gas. He had his dog had stepped on something and it got cut real bad. And one of the guys that had lived down there was like, Hey, I'm gonna hook you up with my vet. We got his dog fixed up. And then, uh, he's like, well, we, you know, we got no power or whatever. And Doug gave him one of the generators. And a week later, this guy, you know, he wasn't a homeless guy, but he showed up dirty, hadn't taken a shower in a while. I mean, we're in the middle of a hurricane. You know, he looked like a homeless person. He shows up a week later, and it looked like he had been through a life-changing event. His hair was brushed. His teeth were brushed. He had clean clothes on. You wouldn't even recognize the guy. And he came back just to tell us thank you. And, and that was a cool, you know, you got to get back. I mean, you know, you can't keep taking in this world and not ever get back because your time's coming. And that's where Operation Airdrop came from. And then that's also when Brad and I decided to legitimize the Texas First Responders Fund, which is Brad and I's well, well, Before we jump into that, let's talk about uh, Texas Airdrop real quick. It is Doug Jackson's deal. I, I definitely get that. But I, since we've dr- name dropped it a couple of times, these guys take, uh, you know, airplanes, their personal airplanes, yep. private airplanes. And you know, a lot of people have airplanes and they load them. They load them with as much uh, supplies as they can and they it, do as- it's weight and then they take off. And I think on that one and Doug would probably have to give the deal, but there was five or 600 planes that got volunteered for that it, effort. I think, te- I think uh, operation airdrop on their website, they have a running tally of how many tons of aid that they've delivered. I th- right. That's where I saw it last. And it's a very significant number and it just didn't, it didn't start and end with Harvey. They've gone no. all the way down. They end up all the way down in Puerto Rico. Even right. delivering well, that was, supplies that, that was like four weeks later. And then even in between there it was Florida. That's right. And it, it just, I mean, those two months were just stupid, crazy versus and he was flying. I mean, I bet he put more hours on his plane then. And then he has since the whole time he's had it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he talked about the last time I talked to him, he said he hardly flown his twin engine this year, but no. Uh, yeah, I mean, this year you, you would have, you're just flying in and out of Louisiana. They've taken five, (laughs) take one for the team, Louisiana. I mean, Texas, Texas has been very happy with having you guys as a neighbor. Right. But yeah, so, so yeah, you, you guys start up your, uh, Texas first responders fund. And that's where the other thing I've seen you guys do is you guys, the, the thing that I see the most, which I know that's, this isn't all of it, but one of your big fundraisers is you guys, uh, raffle off, uh, a really awesome rifle. Yeah, Chris Summers actually was the first one to win the the, the first one, and we get him seracoded with, you know, the fall, you know, the the blue line and the red line and and all that. And we also do uh, we call it uh, crawling for the fallen. We'll go do a wheeling trip at Bridgeport or at the ranch or something, and you know that that really legitimized right about the time airdrop was, and that was three years ago, four years ago, it was three years ago. But Brad and I had been doing this. I think since around 04 and it, it really started cause uh, I guess kind of back up about my family. I've got two sisters and a brother. My younger sister's adopted and my parents were foster kids when they were growing up and she was a lost last foster kid to come through it. And so we actually started raising money for, you know, the, the foster kids, you know, in the County where the ranch is. And then dad came and said, he goes, they got plenty of money in the bank. So we started looking for other things and, up here, we got a guy called Russ Martin on the radio that gives, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars to families that, uh, you know, lost a, a fallen officer. So 
we piggybacked with that, gave him a lot of money. But then was it July 5th or 6th, I think five years ago, when the five officers got slain in downtown Dallas. Right. They got ambushed. Yeah. And that, you know, that hit Brad and, and, and I, and our families pretty hard. We had some, uh, American flags made and the, the stars were, uh, nine millimeter bullet shells were all the stars. And it was just black and gray with a blue line. And today, you know, we auctioned off raised like $2,000 for that thing. The person that bought that was a friend of ours in Houston. She donated it back and it's in the Dallas PD, uh, headquarters. We got to go down and, you know, give it to them. And we met, the families that were affected, you know, from those officers that died. So, you know, it's something special to us and, you know, I'd like to do more with it with the COVID thing. It's been kind of hard to do this year. We've had some things cancel, but you know, that's something we're passionate about. Uh, I, I think it's been um, not teared up here, but I'm just, uh, you know, I, I look at you and hear what you're saying and I've you know seen your, see your passion into this and uh, you know, makes me reflect and be like, man, you know, I'm, doing stuff, but I'm not doing enough. You know, we're not giving back enough and your chip you've set, you've, you're setting the bar really high. You, you really are, man. Hard to follow in your footsteps on, on, on all the stuff that you guys have uh, busted out for the, for your community. Well, it, it, you know, it's something dear to us. And, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, those guys, whether it be police or firefighters or the guys that drive the ambulance or, you know, even the military, our worst days are the days that they shine. And why wouldn't you want to give back to those guys? And especially in today's environment, when there's a lot of anti-police and anti-military and, you know, if people really understood the ramifications of those guys went away, I mean, we're back to the wild west and a lot of people don't know how to use guns these days. So it's going to be, it's not, you know, PlayStation or whatever. Yeah. You don't get, you know, your buddy can't run over and recharge you. You don't get a, you know, exactly. respawn. I mean, it's uh it's you're one and done. You get, you, you get one. Yeah. So it's something cool for us. Well, as we run, run towards the finish line here on this, uh, the, the last big line item that I want to talk to you about, which I think, you know, quite a bit about, and I I've learned a little bit about, you know, recently is what is going on next July, like late July up in Jay, Oklahoma. Oh man, this thing is cool. Let's and roll I- through. I'm horrible at keeping cigarettes and I've known about this for a little while, but mid America in July, they're having an eight day event it's where they're mid America off-road park. Yeah. Jay, Jay, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Northeast and, Oklahoma, uh, just, just Northwest of Grand Lake. Tulsa. Well, Northeast yeah, of Tulsa, Northeast of Tulsa. Yeah, it's 15 miles from Disney. Yeah. Disney, Oklahoma, Disney, Oklahoma. People say Disney. Yeah. You're like, what Florida? No. Uh, yeah. No, Disney, yeah, Oklahoma. Disney, Oklahoma. Wheeling location. That's a good wheeling location. Yeah. In this guy, Jason, I guess it's a couple years ago, a couple years old. I just recently discovered it. The the campgrounds and the way that this guy set up this park is amazing, but he's bringing basically, I'm going to call it King of the Hammers to Oklahoma. Yeah. But it's not just 4,400. It's mega trucks, mud bog trucks, bounty killing, you know, hill killing. Jason Robinette. Yes, I, I probably said nice the wrong. Guy. Super nice guy, but and uh, yeah, I was, you met him this weekend. I saw him, and he was looking at me he was like, "I, I kind of know you from somewhere." I was like, "Yeah, I was at your event a while back." But imagine going to the King of the Hammers and having swim know, up, swim up pool, like a, yeah, a swim up bar, bar, swim up bar, with free beer. The whole park, not just the bar, the whole park is free beer. 
because yeah. it was they did some economic calculations and said they couldn't get a liquor license or it was going to be so much money that they'd rather just give it away well, so they have a liquor license oh they do i said yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they, wasn't even the story that i was told and it was we uh, we went up there for the outlaw uh, race here a while back and i was just blown away at this park now to hold an ultra four course out there it hasn't you know the trails haven't been broken yet and it's kind of easy for us but the park's amazing and the rumors are and it is you know I don't know if they're still going to do it, but for 4,400, it's an invite only. And I think there's 20 or 25, but the reason that is, is they're going to make 20 or five, 20, 25 teams. And they're going to pick a driver from each class and your collective times from each class are who wins the purse. That's like $300,000 in purses. It's a big number is what he told me. And yeah. And I got, I got pulled into the conversation by Dave Cole Dave Cole that leaves the conversation talking with Jason. They've known each other. They're working on this thing. He walks through the crowd, grabs me, drags me back across the crowd and says, Wyatt, you need to meet this guy, Jason, you need to meet this guy, Wyatt. And we get to talk and I'm like, what? I know where Jay Oklahoma, wait, I think I know where Jay Oklahoma is. And he confirmed it's up near Grove. You know, it's Miami, Oklahoma. It's you know, Northeast of Tulsa, just off the Will Rogers turnpike. I'm like, yeah, okay. Eight days concerts. They've got cabins. They've got RV hookups. The swim up bar was nuts. I didn't know that the beer is gratis with your ticket at the gate. Yep. Yeah. UTV racing, 4,400 racing. Uh, they're having monster trucks out there. They were going to do some, uh, stunt bikes, I think too. Yep. Bikes. Uh, I mean, just motocross or just, he just kept rattling stuff off. And I'm like, this sounds like, it sounds like Sturgis for off-roaders for off-roaders. And he's like, that's exactly, you know, like what we're going after. We're going after like, there's something for everybody. And it's going to be in Jay, Oklahoma. This is where you're going to Mecca to. Yeah. And I'm like, well, in February, I'm Mecca to Means Dry Lake. And yeah. in July, I'm going to Mecca my ass to Jay, Oklahoma. I'm like, all right, but I'm it, in. It, it's kind of weird because, you know, Dave Cole, you know, a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with him, but he's an idea guy, 100%. Huge idea Jason's guy. Jason's the same way. Huge and idea I guy. Two, I think the two collaborations there, you know, going to be pretty cool. In the in, in, I don't know Jason from that uh, regard. I don't know anything about him in that regard. Uh, but I do know what I do know about Dave is big idea guy that has the, the means and wherewithal to pull it off. Yep. You know, win, lose, or fail, whatever it is, he will pull it off and then maybe like, okay, that was terrible. We won't do that again. Or like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we pulled that off. That was amazing. Now, next time we're going to do it three times as big. So exactly. I can't imagine what the next one's going to be. I, I don't know, but uh, I saw in Dave Cole his passion about what Jason had going in Jay, Oklahoma. And, and I knew you were involved in that because I'd seen you pushing that on social media just uh, a week before it's called mid America off-road park. Is it called it off-road is, park? Yep. mid America off-road park in Jay, Oklahoma. And yeah, mark it on your calendars guys. I mean, next July, I think it's July the 22nd. I think is the, the, the third week in July, I believe. Yes. And it's somewhere there. like, right. And I might have not looking at the calendar, but I think it's like right before we race in Sturgis and then, I forget where we are no, two the, weeks later. There's yeah, there's a June race and then an August race, but I right. think that I think the closest August race would be Vegas to Reno. No, August, the first week of August is Sturgis. We're somewhere else the weekend. I think it's Moab, maybe. 
but yeah, it's, it's going to be a quick turnaround for us, but it's something we definitely want to be involved in. And, you know, that's something that Rufus racing and Zandy and the guys, you know, we've been doing 4,400. We might start looking into other series, you know, I'd love to go do, uh, you know, some of the Mexico races. Yeah. You know, we're going to see what, see what goes on. At least get your feet wet at Nora or something along those lines. Nora just sounds like a blast to me. I mean, going across the finish line, getting tacos and beer. I'm in. You look like it. I mean, it looks like something that, I mean, me too. I mean, that's, that looks like my kind of race. I just got to make it to the finish line first. Right. Well, Hey, Chip, did we cover everything you wanted to cover? Did, yeah. Am I, mean, I missing I, any I, stories? I, I mean, I know we're missing uh, stories. Uh, there's so many stories. I, I, we'd have to have a whole nother show on that, but you know, Rufus racing, we're, you know, we're just a group of guys have, having fun. You know, Zaddy pulled it together and there's diamond and fry and peanut and Brad and, you know, more the merrier. And we help other teams, you know, especially like Australians and then Hooper and those guys, we're just making memories and having fun. Well, that's what it's about. I love the the fact that, you know, you've been involved in rock sports for, we're going on the better part of two decades leading, yep. you know, in a third decade here. And you're still just as passionate today about it as you were back then. Don't get me wrong. Nothing is a flat line all the way up. Yeah, I know there's been the highs, the lows, the sideways, right. the the broken backs here, the broken hearts oh, there. God. But uh, I just think it's cool to, to go race with you know idols and you know like in in Oklahoma this past weekend. You know I was sitting there going, man, I'm there's a lot of who's who here, and I'm just like feel like you know Zane and I are these nobodies, and you know we made a point this weekend, and our team did. We didn't get across the finish line, but we can run with the big guys, and I think that's what's cool about it. You know, an average everyday joe can get in and mix it up and if you got some talent you can go just like these other guys you're not much different well i want to give two shout outs right there of things that i saw this weekend in the 4400 race on that level nate williams or yep. nate nate jesse nate jesse yep. he finished seventh in nationals yep. seventh nate's had a car two years he's a new driver he hadn't raced before and here we are he finished seventh in that field and then i saw matt burkett He's a North Texas guy. Little, uh, the reason yo Matt was racing is because Jab Nasty was in the passenger seat with my helmet on. <laughs> that's fair. All fair statements, but Burkett finished 10th. When was the last yeah. time Burkett raced a race? And when was the last time he raced an ultra four race? And finished. And I don't know that ever. I, I mean, yeah, I'm sure he's finished. I'm, I'm sure he's finished. He but, did. And- you know, he's had a lot of struggles with that car with motors and he started with Ford and went to Chevy and it's a TTB, it is a TTB car. Yeah. So it, yeah. it needs some serious tuning, but I don't know Burkett at all. I've, I've never met him. I've raced against him one other time, so I don't really have anything to go off of, but the fact that the car hasn't been run in who knows how many years it seemed like, and he shows up, pulls off a 10th place at yeah. ultra four nationals. That's cool. Like that's cool. Dude. And, and who finished 11th? I have no idea. Josh, Bl- Josh Blyler. Oh yeah. Current King. And was, you yeah. know, I mean, he did do whatever he, he had some issues, but loop B, he, he did do it four times versus three. I mean, but, right. but the thing is that's, that was still racing is still under between the green and the checker and Burkett put it in, in front of a, a national champ. So I've got to say, I mean, I got to hand it off to these guys that if you want to, if you want to dedicate some time to the sport, you would dedicate some, a whole bunch of money to the sport and have a car you can run with the big guys you well you nerfed shannon campbell during this race yeah off-road off-road hall of famer i mean and and 
Well, I mean, even look at like Kevin Taylor, which oddly enough is my wife is related to through previous marriage. I don't know how that actually works, but he ran on 43s and a rock bouncer that looks like a Porsche. And I think he finished 14th. It, it, it was the one of the more noticeable cars. Yeah. Like you can pick, you can always pick out his profile and Bailey Bailey Cole's profile and the cars. It's it gets it gets messy when there's like three or four different Miller Pro chassis and they're covered in mud. You can't tell which yeah, is the, the brown two car big, passing the brown car. Yeah, the brown car versus the brown car or the Campbell cars all end up starting to look right. the same. And you've got Wayland. And then Bailey cars, Bailey's is far enough apart, but Shannon's. And then you got a uh, Levi Shirley. There's enough of them that look to, or Caprera. If Caprera's car is at the right angle, right. You, you can get them confused, but nonetheless, wow. Yeah. We just came off a great weekend. It was man. Good to see you chip. I'm glad we had you on great stories. I, I just, you know, like I said, you've, you fully impressed me for the last 20 years and here we are. You're no longer the backup. You're no longer yeah. my break class in case of emergency. I've yeah, got I can to say Zandy's the backup because he hasn't been on and I keep beating him. Maybe, well, he kind of beat me this weekend, but I'll call Zandy the backup now. Yeah. We'll just call him that. Right. I think that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Hey, I'm Hey, put it on. I'll pick a sticker and put it on his car for hammers. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll have to track yeah, him I'll down there. Backup. <laughs> well, Hey guys, I appreciate you guys all tuning in and giving me your time on this episode of the talent tank. You know, we're winding down this fall season. We've got, four more left before, uh, before Thanksgiving, man, Thanksgiving is coming at us quick, but that puts us, what that means is we are three months from, uh, from hammers, three months from seeing everybody on the lake. We're bed. less than three months. It's less. I know. Stop yeah. counting. All right, Chip. You. Chip, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Wyatt. thank you for everything you do. And I love the show and you know, I learned a lot from the show, so I'm, I appreciate you doing this and I'm grateful for it. You know, you reminded me, our, I said I was going to have a nugget about, some information a little bit ago when we were talking about sponsors and getting involved and how to get involved. And I didn't drop that nugget. I'm going to interrupt the exit right here and I'm going to drop that nugget. I saw one thing this weekend that so impressed me. It was one guy. It was one guy. He did it both days. He did it during qualifying and he did it during the race. When he was done with qualifying, he went to the media trailer, which is the big Nitto 18 wheeler trailer, sat down in the Nitto lounge with, uh, Miss Pam Hall and, uh, Miles Hasekus, sat down with them and gave a little post recap of how his qualifying went. And then the next day during race day on Saturday, he raced, he broke, he did not have a good day. When he got back, his car got back to the pits. Wow. He came up there. He walked into the, the Nitto media Nitto trailer grabbed in the sat down the Nitto lounge and gave a race recap about what his day was. And so he gave back value to his sponsors. He let all of his fans know and his family know kind of how his day went. I saw one driver do that. It was the same driver. It was both days. Yep. Only guy that did it. Waylon Campbell. Yep. And I learned from that. You'll see me doing that as much as I can. And you got to get over that. You know, my idea was, I don't want to go interrupt those guys. They want you to come in because they're tired of saying, hey, this just coming down to the wire or whatever other words that Miles used. They can use the interruption. So that's great advice. You're giving, as a driver, you're giving them extra color. You're giving them depth. You're giving them the backstories about what was going on inside the car. I mean, they can see what goes on outside the car. They've got a drone. I mean, they've got cameras all over the course and they're getting, you know, people talking to them in their ear about it. But to get from the horse's mouth, you know, right there from the source, it doesn't get any better than that. And that's the one thing I would like to see. And that was just my observation. I'd like to, see, you know, if, if there's a line of drivers trying to get in there with them, that's one story, but there was no line. It was no, just it one. I saw Josh West, Joshua West. He went in there, sat down from one point, And then at one point, Miles grabbed me and made me sit down for a little bit at the very beginning of the 4400 start. But 
yes, that's needed. That's I, and I hope I said something to Dave and I said something to JT when I was sitting in the F four fifty with them, basically along those lines. And JT said, "Yeah, you know, that's a valid point. We should bring that up in the drivers' meetings. Drivers, you want exposure? You're always asking, you know, uh, how can I give back more to my sponsors? How can I get more coverage? Well, man, the live feed. That's you know, that's what Ultra Four has the live feed for. It's for coverage. Use it." Go sit down yeah. in there. Give give some yeah. live commentary. You may sit there five minutes or ten minutes until there is a spot for you to to talk. Right. But they're going to get your story and they're going to be happy about it. And then we're going to know your story. And the more of us know your story, the better odds are we're going to know your name. We're going to know your memory. We're going to know your car. We're going to know exactly this stuff. And then your ability to walk into whoever and have a conversation about supporting your program and being a partner in your program gets a little easier. You know, the the other thing to that, that, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. But even the new people coming in, you know, that show up to the race for the first time, you know, don't be afraid to walk into somebody's tent or camp. You know, the Levi Shirley's, the Shannon Campbell's, the Lauren Healy's, the Rufus Racing or whatever. You might leave with it like a team shirt or hell, you might even be sucked into being on the team, right? Give you a, a ranch or something. If you want to learn what this is about, don't be afraid to approach the teams. We always need help. Everybody does. It doesn't matter who you are. If you know how to you know, cook bacon or flip pancakes or, exactly. or wrap a burrito, or you know how to actually change out a motor and, 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 and swap stall converters, it does, right. there is a place for you. If, if all you're good at is surfing Facebook and taking pictures and posting up, there is a role for you. Yes, there exactly. absolutely is. So it goes both ways. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, listening to like Levi's and some of the other guys deal about sponsorships and, you know, Bailey Cole brought it up because, you know, you got to give back. You just can't keep taking. And that's the exact way to do it. Yep. No, man, Chip, thank you for coming on. Thank you for wrapping up with me. Uh, thanks for the whole catch up. Uh, sorry about just what you and I had the little hiccup, uh, like pre-recording, but here we go, man. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of uh, the talent tank. I appreciate you guys dialing in and giving me your time and giving chip your time for listening to us. Gavel, gavel along like some girls. All right, guys, yep. we'll catch Thank you next you, week. Yep. Chip. We're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the talent tank. Please like, and subscribe on Instagram at the talent tank or our website, the talent